Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a UK true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And this will be episode 16. Thank you so much for your patience in waiting for this episode. We were very lucky last week because we had recorded a collaboration with Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss. And we were able to bring that forward so that we did have an episode to release for you guys uh, last week. So we were having major issues with our microphone and we do have a new one on order. So that will be with us for next week episode so look out for the difference hopefully Uh, we do have some new patreon supporters that we would like to thank so we have emma bond louise darcy and jason abercrombie thank you so much for your support and merchandise is either with you now or winging its way to you Um, so once again many thanks for your support we'd also like to say a big thank you to everybody who's got in touch on social media and for all the new reviews that we've had left don't forget, guys, as well, you can use our code with the Just Killing Time box. Um, that's a monthly subscription box. And if you use our code Seeing Red Pod, you get 10% off your orders for life. Amazing. Okay, so it's probably going to be a bit like deja vu uh, for me and Bethan today because we have completely done this episode before. Uh, but here goes again. So this is technically it's episode 16, but I think it's going to come up as episode 17. I don't know. We've lost the plot. Um, so what have you got for us today then, Bethan? Like I don't know the answer. Good acting there, Mark. Um, so I have the story of Lee and Sabine, which um, everyone on social media will know because we did do our little competition last week. Hopefully they haven't forgotten um before we start she did go by the names leanne lee and Anne. so for my sanity i've just called her lee and sabine throughout the episode sometimes when you search her on the internet you can find different versions so when leanne sabine died of brain cancer at the age of 74 in october 2015 it was sadly a pretty much unremarkable occasion The former cabaret dancer had friends who missed her, but nobody knew of any children or a husband or anything like that. She had lived alone in the village of Bethau near Pontypris since the 90s when she moved there from New Zealand. She was a bit of a kooky character. She was well known in the local community as a bit of a joker. She used to do tarot readings and people described her as a bit mad but fun. A couple of times she would be looking for pretty stones on the floor as well and she'd go collect them. She was well known for hosting barbecues and she was the key person who tended the communal garden at her block of flats. The only excitement in her life seemed to be her weekly games at the bingo hall. But that was not all that it seemed. She had mentioned to a couple of friends that she had a skeleton in her house from her nurse training days that she'd kept and she asked them to play a practical joke after her death. So she'd asked a neighbour that she was really close with to move the skeleton from her shed and pop it into the attic in the house so that the new tenants would have a shock when they went to move in. And this was how Michelle James came to be on the property late in November. It was 25 days after her friend's death. She found the wrapped up skeleton in the communal shed and as per Leanne's wishes, she went to move the large package for the joke. Her and her friend moved the bulky item and decided to rip it open, so with a load of knives, they started to cut into the plastic that it was wrapped in. However, they were soon faced with this disgusting smell that came out of the bundle, since described as a rotting smell like from a compost bin, and it was clear that this was no skeleton. 
In fact, as the police discovered when they arrived, inside the package was mummified remains. Gross. So Leanne and Michelle had joked about whether the skeleton was real, and at one point Leanne had replied with, you never know. The remains were contained within 50 layers, or more than 50 layers it says, of heavy-duty materials such as roofing felt, shopping bags, tin foil, and bin bags, and it was all tied up with green string. 50 fucking layers. How long was she wrapping that fucker for? All will be revealed. PC Joy Nichols, the beat manager for Bevel, knew Leanne Sabine quite well and even said she kept a very, very clean flat. RCT Holmes wanted to put her flat in one of their leaflets to show how nice they could be. She said she remembered a very strong smell of rotting waste when she attended the scene after the gruesome discovery was made. And it was the fact that Leanne had had such a nice, clean flat and she'd always had cleaners in. Nobody had smelt anything and that was kind of one of the reasons why people thought this couldn't have been in her house all this time because she always had people coming in and it was always really clean. But surely the cleaner or visitors would have still smelt it even if the flat is clean, they're going to still smell it, surely. But don't forget, it's been wrapped up so well, um, even when her friends moved it from the shed, it only started to smell when they cut into it and opened up the packaging. And I suppose, um, thinking about it, if it's been mummified, it's literally kind of dried out, so... Uh, mostly, yeah, it wouldn't have smelled unless you really disturb it and it would release some kind of gases that would stink, I guess. Ugh, stinky gases. That's disgusting. (laughs) A police tent was soon seen in the gap between the two blocks of flats near to the shed that was stood in the garden and locals were kind of wondering what was going on. The police decided to start trying to identify the remains, which were of a man and... Because it was so well preserved due to the mummification process, the man was still wearing M&S pyjamas and they were able to date when they were from. I remember you saying process last week and you said it like process then as well as this week. I don't even think I say process that weird. The mummification process. What's weird about that? Well, it's right now. Now you've said it now when you're thinking about it. But when you're not thinking about it, it was like process. I'm going to listen back and I bet you're wrong. Now, as I said before, no one knew of Leanne having a husband or a partner. Some people knew that she'd been married before. But anybody who knew about that believed that the couple had separated just after she moved to the village. And some people just didn't even realise that she'd ever been married at all. The people that she talked to about having an ex-husband said she told them that her ex was abusive and horrible and nobody had ever seen him since the Sabines had arrived in the village. But possibly shockingly, possibly not considering you know what I'm going to say, Mark, the body was soon identified as John Harry Sabine. He was identified by two things. He was identified by a hip replacement that he had had in the 1990s, which was preserved within his skeleton, and also from some DNA evidence that was given by a family member who had seen a media request and came forward on in December. And so on December the 11th, the skeleton was identified as Mr. Sabine. A post-mortem examination was carried out by forensic pathologist Dr. Richard Jones, and he found that the cause of death was a blunt force trauma to the head. Although the date of the death was still unknown, they were able to say that he had died 
18 years previously so that's how long she'd been keeping him wrapped up as a mummy that's amazing that's just such a long time isn't it to literally have a dead body hiding in your attic or you know in a cupboard in your home or something like a really real dirty secret that you must be concerned about all the time that somebody's going to come out and smell it or discover it and your cover's going to be blown. Mr Sabine, a retired accountant, was either 62 or 67, according to reports. I've not been able to find a definitive answer to that. But he was in his 60s um, if he was still alive. So he was last seen alive at the couple's home. And for some reason, which I'm going to go into in a little bit of detail... Nobody reported when he disappeared and everybody just assumed that he had left. The police set about investigating sort of what had happened to Mr Sabine as well, so how he died. And like I said, they knew there was a blunt force trauma to the head. One of Leanne Sabine's friends actually spoke to the police and said, is there an ornamental frog on the property in anywhere? And the police were able to find this 1.1 kilogram green frog thing. It had what's been described as protruding eyes and legs which i think just sounds creepy but then frogs are a bit weird looking aren't they um they actually then found that on the property and they were able to match up the bits of the frog to the wound and they were able to say that with just one hit of this frog that would cause serious skull fractures and that is quite heavy isn't it 1.1 kilograms what's that sort of two pounds two and a half pounds something like that and by now you may have seen the post on instagram and i believe said frog is in one of the photographs on the collage so it looks pretty vicious kind of thing because it has got these pointy sticky out arms and legs and if you were absolutely twatted around the head with that yeah it would only take one hit one hit wonder (laughs) frogs seriously big arms and legs i don't think frogs have got arms oops (laughs) so um they also were able to say within the post-mortem that the body was so well kind of preserved because it was called a process of chemical mummification what they believed was that every time the body started to smell a new layer had been put on it and they thought perhaps that leanne was the one who had done this because it would make sense from all the information they had obviously she died so they couldn't ask her but they basically thought that she'd been keeping the body in her loft and then yeah just replacing the layers every single time she needed to so dci gareth morgan who was the person who had said there was a really strong smell of rotting waste and it smelled like a compost bin he was talking to the inquest and he said It is my view that Lee Sabine probably killed John Sabine and wrapped up his body. There is no evidence to suggest that anyone else knew of his death. He said, This is an extraordinary set of circumstances and we are working tirelessly to put together the pieces of what is a complex investigation. We would appreciate hearing from anyone who knew John and Sabine and who may have socialised with them or met them back in either 1996 or 1997. We would also appeal directly to the community in and around Tremicum to p- contact us with any information they may have in relation to the plastic wrapping that Mr. Sabine was concealed in. So they believed that he'd moved to the area with his wife in February 1997. And the f- spokesman from the police force basically said, Mr. Sabine has had injuries consistent with an assault. 
Mrs. Sabine passed away on the 30th of October 2015 and is currently the main suspect in this investigation. So, delivering a verdict of unlawful killing, Senior Coroner Andrew Barclay said, It is beyond doubt in my mind, having heard evidence from Dr. Richard Jones, that foul play was at the cause of his death. Mr. Barclay said there were many suggestions Mrs. Sabine had given to indicate what she'd done, but he did say she liked to create attention, she liked to be theatrical. So they were kind of already saying it's difficult to know what's true and what's not with her, and that's something we really find with this woman. I think just from what you've said about her already, kind of, I can just picture her kind of walking down a street, hunched over, collecting little stones, painting them and pretending that they're crystals or something. So she was obviously a bit weird, wasn't she? And she did tarot readings and, you know, everybody knows that's complete bullshit. So, yeah, she, she's, she's not quite right, is she? So the police began to look more into Leanne and her history and also they wanted to make sure that there was nothing fishy about her death. They were able to confirm that she had definitely died of the cancer, the brain cancer that she was suffering from. So they knew they didn't have to investigate that any further. It's not like somebody had killed him and her. Her funeral had already taken place and basically that was kind of just a closed book there so they started looking back into the past and the stories that they uncovered about lee and john sabine were shocking so the story of the sabines began in the 1950s when 16 year old lee ann began an affair with a married man named john he was 11 years older than her and she was a nurse who dreamed of being a singer she was treating him at a hospital in bedfordshire for wounds that he suffered in the korean war and when they then started up a relationship, when Leanne realised she was pregnant, John's wife kicked him out and he actually then moved with Leanne to South Wales. He literally got up, left his first wife and their two children and just never looked back. He then married Leanne and they had three children and at this point they were using the surname Martin. Mr and Mrs Martin and now their four children moved to New Zealand and settled in the Auckland area. And there they had another daughter. So they'd had the first daughter sort of when he was still with his wife. Then they had another three children and then they had another daughter. So the kids were called Jane, Steve, Susan, Martin and Leanne. And this is a bit last week where I was like, seriously, Martin? So they've got a son called Martin Martin and Bethan hadn't even realised. But that's how cruel they were to their kids. I know it didn't I last week I was literally like what are you on about Mark why are you saying the word Martin so much yep Martin Martin also Leanne so not only did she call herself she was herself called Leanne but she also called her daughter Leanne lovely so Mr and Mrs Martin kept dogs and they would show them at dog shows they were really well known in the local area after a few years though they had another opportunity arise Finally, Leanne could live out her dream as a cabaret singer. So her and John, who would work as an accountant, moved to Australia. Anyone paying attention may wonder why I didn't say that the kids went too. Well, that's because they didn't. Mr and Mrs Martin left the country and left their five children, all who were under the age of 10 at this point, in a state-run home for children. Their son Steve has since said, they dropped us off somewhere and never came back to pick us up. They said they were going to come back the next weekend. I was probably just six or seven years old. That's just so incredibly cruel of a parent to do that. You could perhaps understand if a parent was suffering really bad mental illness and knew that the children would be safer 
you know, not in their care. But for them to just think, we want to pursue a new life, we want to pursue Leanne's dreams of being a cabaret star in Australia, but we don't want to have five kids in tow and to just dump them at home, that's just appalling. And I think that would have absolutely long running ramifications for their children in in adulthood which i I have a feeling bethan you're gonna come on to i quite enjoy it when we've already recorded once and we know what we're gonna say It's, it's good fun so when they came back to new zealand a few years later they actually told everyone they were childless and yes as you said it it did have ramifications going years later so in new zealand the state had been trying to track down the parents of these five children that had been dumped and so Leanne and John had gone to Australia and then come back to New Zealand and finally in the 1980s they were found and there was an attempt to reconcile the family but funnily enough it didn't work out and there was a massive row. So their son Steve said about it all, we lived in Australia for a while when we were kids and their story was that because he was an accountant he had ripped someone off and came to New Zealand with the money My mother was a cabaret performer and they said they went back to Australia for that. But he got arrested and she stayed out there with him. And things just escalated from there. At the time, as a young man, I wanted a family so I just let it go. They came back into our lives when I was 23 years old and tried to make amends. But it only lasted a few weeks. People have asked why we took them back. But we said that all our lives, all we wanted was to have a mother and a father. I really found that so sad that no matter what these parents had done, they just wanted a mum and a dad and they were willing to forgive them for literally ditching them and going. Steve continued, With my parents, it was always all about them, never about us. And later, people would ask what had happened to them and I'd just pretend that they were dead. We had a miserable childhood. We were treated like rubbish. They were worried they were going to get thrown in jail and that's why they bolted, they said. It was always all about them. They took me to a budget hotel in Auckland, said they were going to come back and see me in a couple of days, but they never did, and things got really messy. So up until this point, you you do kind of think, well, John Sabine has been murdered, his body's been kept in an attic for 18 years, and you do feel for him, and then you hear all this kind of shit, and you think, actually, no one deserves to be murdered, but what a horrible guy. Yeah, you definitely lose your sympathy for him, absolutely. According to Steve, um, as you kind of alluded to, one of his brothers never came to terms with what happened and eventually he committed suicide. And it's almost unsurprising, really, how much that would affect your life. So in the 1990s, the couple decided to make yet another fresh start, again without their children. And this time they headed back to the familiar surroundings of South Wales, where Leanne began calling herself Anne Sabine or Lee Sabine, depending on who she was talking to. I bet she kind of cottoned on to Leanne Sabine because she was like, oh, fuck, I can't remember if I told them my name was Lee or if I told them my name was Anne. So I just call myself Leanne. <laughs> well, no, she was born Leanne Mark. <laughs> Leanne had told friends in Bevo that her relationship with womanizer, former soldier John, had been abusive and that he'd left her for another woman. A friend called Lynn Williams said after everything came out that she felt fooled by the lies that Lisa Bean had told her about her background. She said she said her husband was abusive and a womanizer. A woman called Mrs. Chalkley met them for the first time in 1988 and said they looked like a lovely couple, the epitome of respectable, and she actually became quite a good friend of Leanne's. 
One witness statement given at the investigation referred to a claim that Mrs. Sabine had said her husband had branded her a hermaphrodite after she had a double mastectomy, which does sound harsh at first, but DCI Gareth Morgan said the validity of this information is questionable. And again, it was just one of these things that Leanne Sabine just lied about to get sympathy. So she actually did say that she was a hermaphrodite? I don't understand. So she said that after she had a double mastectomy, her husband called her hermaphrodite because he was so nasty. Oh, I get it. I literally thought that police officer was saying we need to kind of look into the validity of the claim that she was a hermaphrodite. Because I'm only saying this because I've seen a photo of her in later life before she died and she she ain't pretty. (laughs) No, he was saying the validity of her saying that her husband said it was questionable. And yeah, he's not exactly the nicest person, but it doesn't seem like there was really any evidence of him being this abusive and horrible. Um, People said that Mrs. Sabine had made them aware of the fact that the marriage was turbulent and she'd talk about arguments they'd had. Mrs. Chalkley from earlier said about how she joked with Leanne, I thought you two would have killed each other by now. Later in that conversation, she said something like, you know what you just said about killing him? I have killed him. I killed him with a stone frog I kept by the side of the bed. And Mrs. Chalkley was then the woman who went to the police after John's body was found and said, you need to look out for a stone frog because she mentioned that at some point. Also later, um, she'd asked Mrs. Chalkley to take her to a hotel in Bournemouth because she was leaving John. And she'd always have these stories but then whenever it wasn't in her terms she'd say to her you know say to Leanne how's John and Leanne would just reply with he's the same she said afterwards the problem with Leanne was you just never knew if she was telling the truth or not and this is the main issue that the detectives had is so many people had heard things from Leanne Sabine but they'd either laughed them off didn't believe her or when they tried to ask her again she'd go no that's not true I didn't say that so nobody really took her seriously She'd once said to somebody that her grandson had committed suicide and she was really sad about it. And the person she said that to said, hang on a second, I thought you didn't have any children. How do you have a grandson? And she then sort of backtracked and said, oh, no, no, he's not my grandson. It's someone I call my grandson. It was only after she died, after she died and they found John and then all of this came out. It was actually when her son had committed suicide and she was obviously wanting to talk about it. But she was just so deep into this lie that she couldn't. I suppose maybe that does show a human side to her because she was obviously deeply affected by her son's suicide to the point that she wanted to talk about it. But she couldn't talk about it by being completely honest. So she had to fabricate that it was somebody slightly removed from him. But equally, maybe that helped her talk about it. Yeah, I definitely think so. Mary West, who was a street pastor and she was the executor of Leanne Sabine's will, said she had stories of winning a modelling contract in Australia, a glamorous singing career and tales of her husband's affairs. But in written evidence, she said Leanne span a myth about her life. Lynn Williams, who befriended Leanne when she was in hospital later on, um, and she used to visit her on a daily basis and take her hot meals and help her with chores such as dusting, said in a statement read to the inquest she remembered one incident when she visited Leanne who told her that she had a skeleton in the shed that she needed to move to which Miss Williams replied I hope it wasn't a real skeleton she said Lee then joked you never know and wagged her finger at me with a smile Miss Williams also said it wasn't until I learned things after her death that I realized I didn't know her at all 
So it wasn't just the woman that she asked to go move it. Ultimately, who found the skeleton? She was saying it to loads of different people and nobody believed her. A few months before she died, Leanne was having her hair done by a, a hairdresser, Bernadette Ademic, when she told her, people are going to talk about me after I've gone. I could be famous. And when the hairdresser asked why, she replied, because of the body in the bag. The hairdressers said, we couldn't believe the police announcement. We all knew her. She would come in here and she'd bring us presents at Christmas. We called her Mad Lee because she had her funny ways. She had a heart of gold, though. She was the last person you would expect to be accused of something like this. We knew that she had a husband, but they were separated and we thought that he had gone away. Leanne was clearly a fun person to be around and the staff at her hairdressers were sad to hear she was in hospital so they sent a message to the ward for her saying we're all thinking of her but then the very next day they were told that she had died and they said that they were really saddened by the loss of this old lady. No I don't know why but at this point last week we were pissing ourselves. I don't know why I was just found it so funny that the staff at the hairdressers really felt for her, sent her a card, and then she died the next day. You say we were pissing ourselves laughing. You were pissing yourself laughing and interrupting me while I was trying to read my fucking script. I don't even think it's that ironic. I just think it's really sad. She was like 74 and dying of brain cancer. Don't. You'll start me off again. So, um, as I previously said, Mrs. Chalkley said that um, randomly out of the blue, Leanne Sabine had told her that she'd killed her husband and she'd used this stone fox uh stone frog i was gonna say in stone fox because i've got a stone fox in my garden but um no the stone frog and when she was talking about this she also said i wonder if when she made that comment was she actually looking for help to get rid of her husband's body but because my response wasn't what she was expecting maybe that's why she didn't go along with it she also said because there was nothing on the news which would tally with what leanne had said during their conversation she just put it down to her making it up being madly so the inquest was told by a south wales police officer that mrs sabine was likable but not someone i'd trust pc joy nichols who we talked about earlier described her as clearly a very strong character and said throughout some conversations over the years, she had referred to her husband as a bastard. She said she was estranged from her family, but she didn't want to talk about it. So the police discovered that Leanne and John had signed a joint tenancy for the flat a few weeks before John's last sighting. Um, he joined the doctors and they believed they'd moved there in sort of the February time. He joined the doctors and he was due to pick up a prescription in the April, but he never did. And so at some point between February and April, that would have been when he was killed. His name was removed from the joint tenancy a year later, but he was still on the electoral roll as living in the flat. Leanne continued to claim Mr. Sabine's pension until her death and that didn't get picked up at all. So that's literally 18 years of money that she's had on his behalf so really as well as killing him she's um, guilty of fraud on quite a big scale so leanne and john had moved into the apartment block a few weeks before his unexplained disappearance so it does make a lot of sense now as to why nobody reported him as a missing person because obviously leanne's not going to report him as missing none of their children will because none of their children were in contact with them and 
if she says he'd gone away or she says they've separated, why would anybody think any different? I think it's more than that, though. You know, when you get new neighbours, sometimes it can take weeks or months to kind of figure out, is that just a visitor? Are they a couple? Have they got kids? So it could be that they moved there, been there a few months, and people are still kind of understanding who actually lives there. And then he disappears and he never really figured on people's radar anyway. So, of course, they wouldn't report him missing. Yeah, definitely. And also, how would you report him missing? Calling the police, oh, the guy who I saw once wearing this colour shirt. Like, me and my other half in our street, we don't know anybody's names. We've got people in the street that we talk to and we'll say hi to, but we call them, like, the people with the blue car and stuff like that. We don't know their names at all, apart from, like, one person. I'm laughing at that. I think we all do that, don't don't we we just have kind of nicknames for these people like you know stupid hair woman at number four that kind of thing or the miserable bastards next door (laughs) exactly and can you imagine as well like what do people call me like i wonder what they say about me don't answer that one with a horrible question with a horrible answer mark i was gonna say crazy cat lady which isn't that bad i'll take that not a bad thing to say so their son steve who we referenced earlier um he lives in new zealand still he's basically done an interview with Wales Online which is how we've kind of got some information about what he believed. He actually said that he believed his father was a good man, a soft-hearted man who had been led astray by Leanne. So a bit like you were saying before it's hard to have some sympathy for him because he is the victim of an, a, a real attack and he was had his head caved in and then he was murdered but his son does believe that actually he was kind of overwhelmed with his love for Leanne and that was what kind of drew him away from his children I don't know if I really believe that I wonder if this guy's just trying to think nicely of his dad who's now gone Steve actually said he was overwhelmed to discover that detectives suspected his mum of killing his dad and for keeping it a secret for 18 years he sort of said that's what cut me up the most your parents being murdered by anyone is bad enough but your father by your own mother If they'd rung up and said my dad had died, then fine. But to find out my own mother murdered my father, and with everything that's gone on before, it's like a movie. It's something out of a Stephen King novel. I can't believe this has really happened. He said, She was a conniving bitch. She controlled him, but he loved her to pieces. He said he could never forgive his father for abandoning him and his siblings, but he believed that his dad had been manipulated into doing so because of his love for Leanne. And Steve continued to describe her as an evil woman. He said, I hadn't seen him for 27 years. We didn't know if he was dead or alive. I tried to contact him many times, but he never replied. And now we know why. Speaking after the inquest, Mr. Sabine's son, Christopher, who was his son from the first marriage, the one that he left the wife for with the children. Christopher said he only met him for the first time when he was in his mid-30s. He said, it was nice to meet him. He seemed like a nice chap. And when he was asked about Leanne, he said, she was nice enough. She showered us with gifts. Very nice. But you don't know everything, do you? The coroner, Andrew Barclay, recorded a verdict of unlawful killing and said, these were terrible circumstances. Precisely what happened will never be truly known, but it is without doubt that foul play was the cause of death and consistent with being caused by the stoned frog. He also said there was no recorded history of domestic violence or signs that Lee and Sabine acted in self-defence. I do think with that, though, because they'd moved around so much and this could be over a number of decades that the abuse could have happened, I wouldn't necessarily expect that to be logged and to be on 
a police file that's easily accessible. It could have happened in New Zealand. There could have been an incident where the police were called out to a domestic and it was recorded and, you know, that's been kind of information that's been deleted or we can't link up very well with them. So we don't know that, I suppose. But, I, yeah, I, I don't really think that it was an abusive relationship. But what I do think is it was probably mentally abusive on her part in that she expressed some control over John. Yeah, it definitely seems that way to me. And her actions haven't just had the impact of she killed someone and that's that. So obviously them abandoning their children, that was bad enough, but now they found this out. And the woman who we mentioned at the very beginning, Michelle, who found the body at first, who was asked to go move this skeleton. When she found the skeleton and they were starting to unwrap it, she ran in and called the police and sort of said, you know, this is absolutely stinking. It's clearly not just a skeleton. Because the police got there and she was the first person on the scene, the police actually thought that she was a suspect in the murder at first because they just had a body and someone there. They held her for 48 hours for questioning and she still really suffers from the stress. She suffers from the stress of the fact she was held for 48 hours, the fact that she didn't see her family, and she didn't know if she was going to get arrested and charged for a murder that she didn't commit. She also um, really suffers from the stress of how judgy the public were because they heard that she was arrested on this and she was called a murderer in the street. She said she actually still now um, suffers from like sleepless nights and stuff, so just finding the body and being in that sort of limelight, that's also affected somebody. I'm not surprised just being held, uh, you know, for 48 hours for questioning. They're not going to put her up in a hotel whilst, you know, she has a break from being questioned. She's being held in a police cell. That's a horrible thing. She has done absolutely nothing wrong and has found herself in that position. Very tight-knit community, as we said at the beginning of the episode, and people are talking about her. And it's okay if the papers talk about you and call you a murderer because you'll get a six-figure compensation payment. But if it's just the general public saying that, you're not going to get anything from it. Exactly. So that was like a really sad sort of side of it that I I felt really sorry for this Michelle woman. Um. So Leanne Sabine sort of didn't want to bother people when she was dying, and I. I do wonder if that was almost she felt like she had a punishment for what she'd done in the past, perhaps something like that. She had said to somebody that she wanted to write a letter because she had an in inverted commas, a secret, but she never actually wrote that letter and never wrote anything down. Um, I'm everybody assumes and I assume the same that that was her. She was going to write a confession and she didn't. So she made this skeleton joke you know play a trick on somebody just so that the actual truth would finally come out don't you think the truth would have come out even if she'd done nothing though because her house would have been emptied um they would have found a skeleton they would have dna tested it they would have realized who it was and the police would have still reached the conclusion that they reached having her played this practical joke it's the same conclusion. Yeah, that is true, actually. Maybe she just wanted to make sure that for definite that somebody would. Or, I mean, maybe she didn't think it through and she thought I'd prefer for my friend to find it, not a stranger. But then I'd rather my friend didn't find a dead body because, well, maybe I'm just nicer than Leanne Sabine. Mm, yeah, okay. Shut up, Mark. No, you're supposed to say fuck off, Mark. <laughs> People on social media love it how you say fuck off. 
<laughs> it's become a bit of a thing. Unfortunately, it's becoming our catchphrase. I don't want it to be our catchphrase. Um, one of the kind of good things that's come out of this is the New Zealand children and the Wales children of John Sabine. Um, they've actually now got in touch with each other. So they've each got siblings that they didn't know about before. And I read somewhere when, because this all happened in sort of 2015, 2016, um, that they were looking to meet up, which I thought was really nice, actually, if they if they could. I think that's a really nice way to end the episode because that almost makes it all, all worthwhile. The fact that he's been murdered. <laughs> the fact that he's been... <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. Nick doesn't make it all worthwhile. It's just a nice, I think that's a nice touch. So three years ago, Leanne was featured in a council magazine discussing her passion for gardening and she'd explained how she transformed the patch near her flat, which she shared with three other tenants, into a little piece of paradise. She added, coming from New Zealand, I've grown up with dirt. I love being outside and I'd rather be mucking around in the garden than sat in front of my television. This is my property, my home, and I want to feel proud. And I wanted my neighbours to be able to feel proud too. Every summer I host a barbecue and all the neighbours come. It's brought us closer. Leanne Sabine took great pride in the communal garden area after her husband was gone. She spent a lot of time furnishing it with statues, benches, tables and chairs. But it was in that very garden that the truth about her husband was finally revealed. What a fabulous ending. Thank you, Bethan. Thank you. I thought it was quite poetic that she'd posed. And one of the pictures, actually, that we put on social media was her in her garden. And that is the garden that the body was then found in. It was quite poetic. But was it as poetic as the David Kelly episode when I read a verse of a poem? That will be forever etched in everyone's memory as the most beautiful thing you've ever said. On Harrow Downhill, the golden blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the rest. Shut up. We don't need it a second time. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode. We really hope that you enjoyed our take on the story. And if it was something you'd heard about before that you maybe learned something new, and if it was something you hadn't heard of before, it was one that I hadn't heard of until quite recently. Um, and I thought it was really intriguing. Oh, shut up, Bethan. And on that lovely note... We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.